Thank you for listening to Scandinavian Crimes Podcast. Be sure to check out the episode links and be part of our other social media platforms where you can leave a topic suggestion or even share some of your insights regarding the subject matter of the episode. We will always do our best to provide a well-researched episode, but sometimes due to limited access to information and translation issues, some information can be lost. It is therefore good to do your own research and get a deeper understanding of a case of your own interest. So with that all said, let us start today's episode. Welcome to another episode of Scandinavian Crimes. My name is Devante, and say hello to my lovely co-host, Delilah. Hi. And on this podcast, we will talk about famous Scandinavian criminals who made their mark throughout Scandinavian history. So today we're going to be discussing the Tisdalen murders. The Tisdalen murders took place in Osfold, Norway, that was once a thriving sawmill industry community. As the 20th century arrived, Tisdalen evolved into a close-knit working-class neighborhood with various religious groups coexisting harmoniously. However, the tranquility was shattered when a series of brutal murders occurred in 1991 and 1992. Tisdalen became the center of media attention facing one of Norway's most notorious murder cases. So I want you all to sit back And enjoy the ride because I know you guys love when we talk about serial killers, especially unknown serial killers or serial killers that are not super talked about nowadays like the U.S. ones are. But grab your tea, grab your snacks, because even though the story isn't super duper long, it's still going to be quite a ride. So listen up as we talk about the Tisdalen murders. It was September 3rd, 1991, in the quiet town of Tisdalen. Asse, Helen, and Arne Advar Nardby, a pair of elderly siblings aged 78 and 74, were brutally murdered in a way that would shock the entire community. The Nordby siblings, whose bond was unbreakable as the years were numerous, met a tragic end within the very walls of their cherished home. Their bodies bore the cruel scars of multiple stab wounds each testament to the brutality that had fallen them. As the investigation unfolded, it became evident that the motive was not only a senseless murder, but to also strip them of their belongings, leaving behind a scene of horror and emptiness. The local law enforcement responded with determination, launching an extensive investigation in an attempt to solve the case. However, their relentless pursuit of the truth appeared to be formidable and challenging, causing growing frustration among the investigative team. As the passage of time deepened the mystery, the unrelenting quest for answers led to the unjust suspicion falling upon two innocent individuals who were later released. In a prevailing air of uncertainty, a subtle hint of a lead emerged. In the evening, only days before their murder, the Nordby siblings had an encounter with an unfamiliar figure lurking within the confines of their garden. The identity of the stranger remained a mystery, and the attempt to uncover his identity was met with a cryptic explanation. The man claimed he was in search of a lost dog. Little did they suspect that this seemingly unremarkable encounter would lead to a series of horrifying incidents. A year later, on September 1st, 1992, the town was plunged once more into terror. This time, the unfortunate victim was Per Rod, a 71-year-old pensioner. A brutal blow from the iron bar left him defenseless, paving the way for a relentless barrage of stabbing. 
His lifeless body was then heartlessly discarded onto the compost pile within his own garden. As weeks faded into months, the absence of Purr became a haunting riddle that plagued the community. The efforts of the police to locate him yielding little and his whereabouts remained an unsolved puzzle. It wasn't until the month of March 1993, the two neighbors stumbled upon the disturbing discovery of the lifeless remains of Purr. The wounds that marred his body bore similarities to the horrors that had befallen the Nordby siblings, a grim realization that a serial killer was at play. In the midst of this escalating nightmare, on December 23, 1992, the town was thrust into another horroring incident. Carl Johan Hagavik, a 54-year-old manager of the local food store, met his demise. A gunshot had been fired to the back of his head, silencing his life forever. Yet strangely, Carl's money was left untouched while his bag contained three liters of milk was actually stolen. This left the investigation confused. The perpetrator's motive defies logic and reason. Why would the murderer kill this man over some milk? The unfolding tragedy transformed the Tisdalen area into an eerie ghost town, cloaked in a veil of apprehension and dread. The once thriving community became a landscape of shadows with its denizens cowering in the face of the unseen menace. The murders of the Norby siblings, Per Rod and Carl Johan Hagevik, etched a permanent mark onto the town. Amid the relentless pursuit to find the perpetrator, a haunting question lingered, who could orchestrate such horrible acts of murder? The terror that had gripped Tista Dalin was finally beginning to unravel as the police started to piece everything together. They quickly linked the three murder cases as it appeared that the crimes were driven by motives of robbery. Additionally, evidence indicated that the same individual responsible for these murders were also involved in a recent bank robbery in Lobby near Holiden. Months of relentless investigation carried out in close collaboration with the National Criminal Investigation Service. The police was able to apprehend Roger Herbert Haglund on the 1st of May, 1993. Roger is a 55-year-old family man from the very heart of Tisdalen. The evidence that tied him to the crimes was strong and his motives aligned with the profile they had since the beginning of the investigation. His alibi was flimsy and crumbled under scrutiny as well as Roger's financial situation was poor, which potentially led him to his sinister motives. Roger's demeanor in the face of interrogation made it possible for the investigators to better understand who he truly was. His cold detachment stood out, a stark contrast to the depths of depravity that the evidence suggested. As Rogers was confronted with the evidence, he confessed to the unspeakable acts only to recant his admission, weaving a disturbing narrative of manipulation and control. Rogers stated that he had been coerced by the notorious murderer and sex offender Edgar Antonsen, who had committed suicide that same year. According to him, Edgar compelled him into making a false confession for the crimes. Rogers' violent acts stretched beyond the borders of Norway. During the investigation, a connection to another brutal double murder in Sweden came to light that had happened earlier in the years. However, he was never brought to trial for these crimes. The wheels of justice chose not to turn in that direction, leaving the echoes of that particular horror unanswered. As the trial proceedings unfolded, the public prosecutor Lasse Kavikstad masterfully portrayed Roger as a calculated and methodical individual 
capable of extinguishing innocent lives in cold blood and then methodically scouring their homes for material gain. Roger's resolve wavered and he confessed in court, ultimately giving way to the overwhelming weight of the prosecution's case. On the 26th of April, 1994, the sentence was made. He ended up with 21 years behind bars, coupled with five years of preventative detention. After spending 13 years behind bars, Roger was granted parole, although his health had deteriorated significantly. He initially settled in Sketsmo, but later relocated to Stroman. At the age of 73, Roger passed away on December 9th, 2011, marking the end of his life. As a chapter of this nightmarish tale closed, Tisdalen was left grappling with the residue of fear and sorrow that had woven itself into the very fabric of the community. The scars of the past would forever shape its landscape, a reminder of the darkness that could emerge from the most unsuspecting corners of humanity. Very comprehensive discussion notes. <laughs> I I didn't have time to like fix it, but basically, um, <clears throat> this case was a very there was like multiple murders, but there was not a lot of information regarding like all of the cases. The the one that gave the most uh, was the last one, which was the uh, what which was Carl. Johan Hagevik Um, and um, where we got more information of his that like he got robbed of milk but not really the money from you know his store which I think was very puzzling because they ended up saying that he the guy who um, Roger was the culprit because he was famous for being a robber robber i don't i guess you say it like that thief (laughs) i don't know Mm -hmm. yes um but to be honest with you i feel like if you're truly a like robber kind of guy and you're poor and like if you murder somebody why didn't they take the money why was milk more important than money i think at least or maybe it was like a fake like huh i'm gonna misdirect you guys what I'm thinking, I guess, is like maybe <clears throat> he didn't just simply steal money. He stole things that he needed. So at that moment, he was like, I need milk to make pancakes or what? But I, I mean, what the money, what, what, like, don't you need the money? I mean, if you're poor. I'm sure. But I think that's what the logic was. I'm just going to steal the things that I need. And unfortunately, he was willing to kill over milk, at least. So, but also, like I said, it's hard to pass judgment because they didn't give a lot of clues on what the investigative process was there wasn't a lot of details it was only like it was such a cold like like the way he murdered them was so cold-hearted yeah and then also he did say that he was coerced to confess but then confessed in court and this did take place in the 90s and for anyone who's been watching i said watching but listening the podcast you know unfortunately the 80s 90s 70s confessions can be very unreliable because of certain practices that took place during those times so am i saying this is like this person is innocent i have no idea no but also based on the lack of information due to the investigation um even what we saw what we can try and find online 
it just seems like there's a lot of stuff missing that we don't know. We don't even know how they came to the conclusion that it was him. But they did kind of like, they were like, oh, it's hinted that like, oh, he's poor and he's a robbery and he lives in Tistadalem. So therefore he is the culprit. That's basically what they, how they determined. And then they started like, investigate and interview him and I guess during that time that's when he confessed but they also said like the evidence tied to him so I don't know what type of evidence they was trying that, that they did that's why um, I say it's tough too because like we've heard that before but they say oh the evidence and the modus aligned but yeah. I mean like the modus can always align when it comes to robbery so yeah because like it can be literally for anything so like I said we don't know what's true or what isn't true and we're not trying to say that they're innocent if they aren't innocent then hey it is what it is um but it just there's a lot there's a lack of information but even but he did confess at court though but the thing and he is, lied during their so remember the Vigo Christensen one I mean yeah but he was also mentally he had issues he just had mentally. a lower IQ but I mean something that very, too but like it was something similar he was happened. also drug infused and like coerced into saying things but the guy in this story did mention he was poor wait he didn't have low IQ he was studying other cases and just kind of incorporated that and guessing based on how they questioned him. So I, I don't think that's a low IQ thing. I, I, I might be, I might be. I think you got confused with something else. He, but he actually he, was, but he did get coerced into confessing, which later ended up. No, he, I mean he wanted the attention as well. No, 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 that's not Vigo. Yo, Vigo. Vigo Christensen. No, no, no. No, wait. <gasps> I'm I'm I am thinking about Thomas Thomas Quick. Yeah. I'm my bad. I corrected you into wrong correction. I'm so sorry. Vigo yeah. was the one who I believed. He had a lower IQ. And he, but he had, was he with had the lower else. IQ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he You're was right. actually innocent. Yes, and then yes. he was forced to confess. Yes. And he even confessed at one point in court, but then he retracted his statement. Exactly. Uh, when that not during a retrial, but mm-hmm. when the later in the case during the trial, mm-hmm. he had retracted and said he was coerced to confess. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's. That's what I'm saying like it's hard to tell with this case in particular because this sounds a very like very similar to a lot of cases where people were forced to confess but they did like the expert or what was his name there was a guy he was like Lasse uh the prosecutor he was portraying him to be this like methodical and calculated like manipulative like guy but they did the same thing as well prosecutor that's their job I mean I guess that's their job but I feel yeah. like if the judge because like the way they like he murdered the people if it was him was so brutal so I mean okay you know what you're right I feel conflicted because like there's nothing at least stated that was like absolutely him and we don't have a ton of information and just because the prosecutor you know, was like hey he's a methodical killer regardless if the person is innocent or not and they know it or not their job is still to oh, but convince them I wanna, now I remember why I wrote this in this <laughs> this little short little note on the discussion part it's because the court described him as an ice cold psychopath but there was no real I don't I couldn't find any evaluations or any experts that nothing that actually did anything to determine if he was or was not so this was only the court that felt that he was very like psychopath-ish. Yes, which so, means this is, it sounds like. But I guess the take might this with a grain of salt. Yeah, take this with a grain of salt. This sounds like this might have been circumstantial. 
but it could have also been the truth as well. It could so, like, been. we can't really say for sure, but I feel like I wanted to classify this as a murder mystery, but because, like, we, I don't know if he's truly, like, it's like, I don't have, we don't have anything to go from. But I also feel like. Mm. Okay, sorry. My bad. I, I get, I get my thought process gone. I'm dead. Uh, so, yeah, take it with a grain of salt. It's possible that. You know, it truly is. They had something and we just can't find it. But also I am the person that I am is I can admit when something sounds similar to other cases of course confessions. So that way, you know, it just comes off as like there's something missing. And this seems like they just went with the first person who they felt matched their profile. And that, that's just what it seems like. But I could be wrong. Take it with a grain of salt. Do not take what I said as my opinion as a fact. And uh, just just stuff to keep in mind and kind of keep the discussion flowing. But not a super long case. Um, overall opinion, as I've already said, it just seems like there's some missing information for me personally. Me too. So just to wrap it up on a good note, what kind of food are you feeling right now? You know, like, I mean, big ass donut. Krispy Kreme. Yeah. Krispy Kreme donut. Yeah, I remember when yeah. North They're Carolina, you like the like the Krispy Kreme donuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they make their donuts fresh, good, delicious. So. so I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I hope today's episode was informative. And once again, like I say on every episode, be safe out there. Remember, in any situation, whether it be male or female who's listening, if you ever get into a situation at all, period, fight for your life. I don't care if you're 10 years old. I don't care if you're 80 years old. Fighting for your life will increase your chances of surviving. Now, hopefully, you don't ever have to use any advice that I give you. Hopefully. But life can sometimes do that but if that is the case fight my children fight rise my children and uh fight the evil i'm so done and we will catch you in the next one uh stay stay hungry my friends stay thirsty and stay healthy bye bye bye